1: Hey, this is Matt Monero, author of You Need More Money. And if you want to learn how to live your lifestyle by design, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel.
0: You have the ambition I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. But first, if you have not done this already, please go ahead and schedule a quick chat with me. I would love to talk with you sometime just for 10 or 15 minutes over the phone. Um, Head on over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash FB. And in the pinned welcome post in the top of my Facebook group, you'll see a link that goes directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a quick chat. Love to talk with you sometime. So I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Matt Monero. Matt launched Commercial Fleet Financing Incorporated in 1995 with a phone, a folding table, and the unyielding confidence of a single client, a trucker. By fusing his limited resources with tough-minded personal philosophies on company culture, skilling up, and Finding Your Grit. Matt shaped his thriving businesses and he is willing and eager to share his experiences with others. Fast forward 23 years and CFF has funded over $1 billion in transportation equipment with annual business of over $100 million. CFF has served more than 10,000 clients and has become one of the largest independently owned transportation equipment finance companies in America. CFF is a four-time recipient of Inc. Magazine's fastest growing companies in America and a three-time recipient of the Dallas 100 fastest growing companies in Texas. Matt, thanks a lot for coming on the show today, man. Really, really excited to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're most excited about right now?
1: I'm excited about being me buddy I'm excited about life I'm mean, gonna I have the book you need more money that's come out about a month ago it's doing well my business is thriving probably going to be the best year in 23 years of being in business my marriage is strong my relationship with my three kids is very good look man I'm happy to be alive I'm enjoying what's going on I'd like to lose a few pounds but other than that I'm very excited
0: <laughs> perfect perfect so you mentioned a little bit about the company about the book we talked a little bit in the intro about all, all this kind of stuff? How do you balance everything, man? You got the family, you got a book, you got a hundred million dollar business and you own a couple other businesses. What does it all look like?
1: Yeah, it's no question. It's a busy schedule, but I work with fantastic people who are empowered to make decisions who require that from me, by the way, I don't work with people who want to be left alone, you know, to be average. These the people that I work with and hire want to do great stuff. I have an incredible wife at home who manages my household like it was a business. Yeah, I don't separate work and, you know, life. I know so many people look at it in these different mindsets. It's all connected to me to purpose and the journey. And, you know, I really feel like it's just firing on all cylinders right now. And it's it's so powerful and rewarding and fun. And I kind of wish I would looked things this way earlier in my life. You know, I grinded so hard to try to maybe to get to this place. Maybe it was a requirement, but I'm certainly enjoying what's going on.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I was at a mastermind this past weekend, one of the ones that I'm a member of. And that was a recurring theme throughout the weekend was just uh, people that were getting to the point in their life were like, hey, look, I've put in a lot of grind, a lot of hustle, and I wish that I would have, you know, done more of this, more of that. And now they're taking more time to do those things. And I was looking at it from that perspective, like you just said, Matt, where it was just kind of like, well, honestly, you couldn't have done the things that you're about to do right now. If you didn't put in the grind and the hustle for like the first 10, 15 years, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're like, yeah. if you did all that, you wouldn't be in the position to be able to enjoy that. What would you say yeah. about that?
1: No, it's so true. It really is. I mean, it is what it is, but I do think that I probably could have been more present in certain areas of my life early on. But as so many business owners are, man, we're slaves to our business. The business is anchors around our necks. You know, we're just trying to figure out how do we make ends meet. That's not the case for everybody. You know it as well as I do. I mean, some people come with inherit businesses or they have this amazing team and they're funded by Wall Street or Silicon Valley. And, you know, those phases are a lot easier. Dude, I started my business from nothing. Mm -hmm, Right. And to go from nothing to something, in business is not an overnight deal. It takes time and effort and focus and sacrifice and commitment. There's just no way around it. So do I wish that maybe I'd smelled the roses a little bit earlier? I'm 49 years old. Do I wish I'd smell the roses? Yeah, but I coached my kids on their teams. And I remember doing my best to take my wife out and focus on the date night, you know, Mm, yeah. but the reality was, man, for about, you know, the first 10, 12 years, man, I was beholden to my business.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. But now you get to reap the benefits of that kind of work and effort. And I know that your schedule right now is still pretty busy, but like you were saying earlier, like things are just firing on all cylinders. And I think that's just part of the journey, man. Just trying to figure out what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and then kind of piecing it together. So I want to get a little bit into your book here, Matt. So the book is called You Need More Money, which is also the name of your podcast, which I'm a fan of, by the way. Just listened to your interview with a mutual friend, Patrick, but David the other day. That was a fantastic one. You asked some really great questions on there. So the book is called You Need More Money, which is kind of a polarizing title, which I assume you did on purpose. Can you talk into that?
1: The book was originally titled I Need More Money. And the publisher changed it to you need more money because they felt that, you know, I need more money might make a reader say, well, why do I care about this guy needing more money versus the sort of polarizing attack, as you say, of no, 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 you need more money. But the reality is I need more money. You need more money. We need more money. It's an epidemic in America. And the genesis of the book comes from me and my wife and our families losing my wife's only brother, my brother in law. Two years ago, he died at 46. He left a wife and four kids with no health insurance, no life insurance and a hundred bucks in the bank. And so a lot of people think that it's a book about money grubbing and this guy's trying to make money off selling books and what a scam and what a charlatan and a snake oil salesman and what people hopefully Realize very quickly is it's an incredibly personal story from my family.
0: Yeah, I don't know if if you can go into that just a little bit. Th- throw out a couple of ideas that the this is the catalyst really where this entire book idea came from, and it is a fantastic story. I've heard it multiple times on a couple different shows, and then obviously in the book itself. So can you kind of go into that a little bit, and then tell us exactly how this spawned out of that experience?
1: Yeah, sure. It actually connects probably a lot to networking. Really, look, my wife and I and I, we've been together twenty plus years very happily married, in love after all these years. But I know for sure that my wife loved her brother more than she loves me. And so when you think of the worst possible person to be taken from my wife, it was her brother, John. And so that just takes the story and the impact to a whole new level for me, knowing the pain that losing her brother caused her and all of us. But in order to get through that grieving process, I started to write a little bit about it. And the backstory on it, though, Travis, is literally my brother-in-law thought he was going to the doctor to get a shot because he hadn't been feeling good for months. And on a Monday, he was going to get a shot and he was immediately sent to the emergency room and he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Oh, man. And you know, we all rallied, man. We really did. We did everything we possibly could to get information and get the right setup for him. The downside is he had no health insurance, no life insurance, and less than a hundred bucks in a bank when he was diagnosed. So, you know, there's no zero down financing with cancer buddy. Yeah. And if you don't have money, and I'm in Dallas, Texas, if you don't have money in Dallas, Texas, you go to a place called Parkland Hospital. And to the heroes at Parkland Hospital, we're all grateful, but the reality is you're not getting world-class care at a free hospital. You know, somebody had to cover the nut, man. Somebody had to pay the bills. And of course, my wife and I were, you know, that was our responsibility, which we took 100%. It never, never entered my mind that we wouldn't cover his bills in an effort to try to get him better. But I was able to see two things through this experience. The first is the impact of not having money. As resulting from a situation that you have very little control over, i.e. a cancer diagnosis. And then I also saw the other side, which is the power and strength that having money has in an effort to try and fix those problems. And my argument in the book is be fearful and be prepared. Because we don't know what's coming around the corner, whether it's two planes hitting skyscrapers or it's China coming into our market or the government changing regulations or your company getting downsized or bought and sold or you get diagnosed with cancer. And so we need to have reserves. We need to take our money more seriously and we need to stack and rack more cash, a lot more cash than most people think.
0: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast indeed.com/travis terms and conditions apply if you need hire you need indeed yeah you know this is a story that really resonated with me the first time that I heard you say it Matt because actually around the same time frame it was uh, about a year and a half ago i think my wife's dad ended up passing away he was 53 Wow. Um, so kind of a similar age setting, the whole thing. It was like very out of the blue. Like it was just, you know, like we found out that he was sick. And then it was about a week, week and a half later that he ended up oh, passing. Oh, man. And it was a similar situation, you know, no, no life insurance. It was good for us to be able to help out a lot in the situation. It's just so funny because people will hear a book title like that, see a podcast like that. And like you said, immediately just start throwing out these accusations, right? Like these just unbridled attacks. Yeah, attacks. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, you're just a greedy, like you said, snake oil salesman that, you know, you're just trying to make money and it's like, okay, but why is having money a bad thing? Where do we get that? Why is it so bad to say, you know what? I want to make money. I want to get rich. I want to be successful. Like, why is that so bad? Can you talk into that for a second? Why do you think that so many people just associate having money with being a greedy person?
1: Yeah. I think it's easier to justify not having than it is to sometimes even justify having. I've seen a lot of guys with money uh, really shut down on the topic. They almost feel guilty for having success. And, and so they literally shy away from it, where conversely, you know, you'll see a lot of people who are behind and they just give up. And so the competitive nature of Sports, life, existence is really important when it comes to money because most people that I know start from nothing. And it's extremely difficult to start from zero and to get financially ahead. And so to leave it to chance or to the whim or that, you know, it's all going to be okay, it doesn't work like that with money. It takes focus, skill, effort, diligence, and earnings. I mean, you know, I was talking to someone recently and they were talking about this new app that can save you like six bucks a day. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) don't even download the damn thing. I mean, I can't even believe that you're talking about that. That's the problem, though, Travis. And I try to point it out in the first part of the book, the wake up call, which is that we are still operating on these ridiculously outdated numbers of what is enough money anymore. Mm-hmm, and right. I was longing for someone to tell me what are these numbers? Where do I find whether I'm on track or if I'm behind? And I really struggled with it. Who can tell me? Who can I talk to that says, dude, this is how much money you need to make to afford that. And this is how much money you need to make to throw off this amount of income. And this is how you do it. And I couldn't find it, so I just put it in my damn book. And yeah. I tell people exactly where you are. It's the one, three, five, ten. We we call it the litmus test. And you got to, everybody's got to put themselves through the litmus test to see whether you're on track or you're off track.
0: Yeah, I love that, man. Uh, it reminds me of the old phrase, right? A penny saved is a penny earned. Those are apps that save you, you know, five bucks a week or like cut a coupon for you at the store or whatever. And it's just like, man, a penny saved might be a penny earned, bro, but it's still a penny. So you're gonna have a hard time like doing what you want to do, becoming financially secure when you're like looking at pennies as a profit. you got to really start expanding that.
1: <laughs> but Travis, it's everywhere. Though. I mean, it's like the ones that are looking at it the way you and I are looking at it, we're in the minority. The majority of people are brainwashed into that thought process, which comes from our parents. It does come from the media. I mean, you can see people on TV, very famous TV shows are having finance experts on who are talking about these completely absurd methods Mm -hmm. of how you get ahead financially. The way you get ahead financially is by figuring out how you can earn more money. That's rule number one earn more.
0: Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask is, I know I'll get to that in a second, is I want you to talk a little bit more about the blueprint of like how this happens. Obviously, it's going to be different for everybody. You're in a commercial trucking financing business. And, you know, these other people might be in this business or that business or they're in sales or whatever it may be. But I'm sure there's a blueprint that we can all kind of follow as an outline and then fill in the gaps where we need to. But yeah, that whole idea of some of these people that are giving all this advice on how to get ahead. To me, it's more they're playing the game to not lose instead of playing the game to win. And especially in the financial landscape that the country is in right now, like more and more people are falling out of the middle class every year. They're becoming rich or they're going, you know, into poverty. And so it's more to me like, hey, look, you can't play the game to not lose anymore. You have to go on offense instead of playing on defense. Can you talk into that?
1: It's totally correct. Look, everyone has to understand this about money. Money is a win-lose game. There is no middle ground. There is no gray area. At some point in your life, you will have to come to grips with how you played the game of money. Whether a person wants to do it at 26 or 36 or 86, it really doesn't matter because you will have to come to grips with it. You might be 86 and recognize that you didn't play your money card properly and all those things you promised your family didn't come true. The summers in Tuscany, the RV trip across the country, the second beach house, all that stuff you promised your spouses and they believed in you and they trusted you and you failed, you will have to come to grips with that at some point. So you will either win and live the lifestyle that you built for yourself, or you will lose. That's the way it plays out with money. And it's so concrete and clear I think back to your original question, it's one of the reasons that people are so terrified of talking about it or even thinking about it because they know that sooner or later they have to play the win or lose card.
0: Yeah, totally. So that's what I was going to bring into the conversation is this idea of fearing that you can't make it happen because it's a real fear. So, you know, for some context, I'm 25. I grew up super religious, you know, it was always like, hey, don't love money, don't love money, don't love money, don't love money, don't love money. So it's taken a lot of mental shifts for me in the last three years since I've graduated college to be able to like totally change my mindset about money to begin with. And there's a lot of fear attached to that. There's a lot of fear attached in like fully committing to doing something, knowing that you might fail at it. And I think a lot of people aren't willing to just dive in and say, who cares? I think the biggest thing, Matt, is that I fear being that 86 year old that you were just talking about way more than I fear trying my best and failing. I just don't understand how somebody can go into it and just be like, I'll do the safe thing because what if I commit to it and I try my best and it doesn't happen? It was like, well, what if you don't commit to it and you don't try your best? It's definitely not gonna happen then. Like you're not gonna accidentally get a lot of money, man.
1: No, 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 there's no, the lottery doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just real quick on what you're talking about because it's very powerful what you're talking about. There is a math problem that can solve anyone's money problem. It's very simple. If you have 20 years and you can put away $2,000 a month and you can get a 6% annual return, and you can add $100. At the end of that 20-year period of time, if those factors play out, you will have $1 million. And so for you and other listeners who are 25, I just gave you the formula that will work 100% of the time so by the time you're 45, you'll have a million bucks. Now, you'll have to determine whether a million is a lot or a little. I argue in the book it's not. Mm-hmm. But imagine what could happen if a guy creates a side hustle and instead of 2000 bucks a month at 25, he can do 3000 And he goes 20 years at 6%, adds 100 bucks to it. You know, that guy's going to have $1.45 million. Hmm. So the game is just that. It's a game. The question becomes, how does the person pick up an extra 2000 bucks? Well, do they get it being an employee or do they get it being an employer? They have to do a side hustle. We talk about all that stuff in the book. I have a very strong stance, by the way, that most people do not need to be in business for themselves to do well financially. I reference the number two person at Facebook that nobody's ever heard of is also worth a billion bucks. Hmm. So yeah. you don't have to be the head honcho to win with the game of money. I know a ton of people who are gainfully employed, happily employed, mm-hmm. great base salary, great compensation plan, and stacks of options. Right. So right. you don't have to be the boss to do well financially. It's hocus pocus for anyone to tell you that. You can do great working in a great company.
0: You know, it's funny. I was talking to Jared Glant about that, Grant Cardone's VP, and he was saying the same thing. He was like, we are talking about quote unquote entrepreneurship, right? Because there's this whole fad of being an entrepreneur now. And it was just funny because Jared was like, man, I'm happy doing what I do. It's like I get to work with Grant. I get to do all these different things. I made like $1.3 million last year. <laughs> like, so yeah, mm-hmm. there's, you definitely don't need to go into business for yourself. So we're, we're talking about that blueprint a little bit earlier. What does that blueprint look like? Give us a bird's eye view, Matt.
1: Yep. I talk about it. It's this part two of the book called The Roadmap. And for me, the roadmap starts with this. It starts with core values and clarity on who you are, Travis. And I know that that might sound a little simplistic as it relates to money, but I really believe it's viciously important because we have to make a decision man. How are we going to play the game? Are we going to play the game ethically? Or are we going to play the game unethically? You know, you look at a guy like the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that guy would have been viciously successful if he went straight. He didn't have to bend the rules. He still would have made tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars on Wall Street if he had played it straight. But he wasn't clear on those core values, man. He went to the dark side. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that roadmap starts with crystal clarity on who you are, What is the line in the sand? What are you willing to tolerate? What are you not willing to tolerate? And for me, that was easy for me. I was always going to play it on the straight and narrow. I was never going to do bribes. I was never going to pay, you know, give a client an apple pie with $100 bills below it. I was never going to be the way I was going to make my money. And I knew it very early on. I'll tell you a quick story. One time I had a client pay us a big down payment in a brown paper bag. It was like 50 grand down payment in a brown bag. And I was getting fed this information by these so-called business mentors who, you know, they would say, oh man, you want to bury that money, right? That's the money you want to take. And I said, well, I'll just call my old man and see what he says about it. My old man says, let me ask you a question. What would you do if that cash was a check that you got from your customer? And I said, well, I'd go to the bank and deposit. He says, that's exactly what you're going to do with the cash. And that's exactly how it played out. And it's always played out like that for me. I run it straight as a string. Yeah. So yeah. A little bit of long-winded answer, but it starts with core values. The yeah. next thing- Yeah, to real, real
0: quick on that too, Matt. I like what you said there because there's a lot of freedom in truly committing to something, right? So when you commit to doing business in this kind of a way, like there's a lot of freedom there. But if you don't start with that commitment, then when you find yourself in the situation, you will definitely be tempted to go the other route, which which I like so much about what you just said, because I think that a lot of people sitting there are you know, thumbing their nose up at Jordan Belfort and saying like, oh, well, I would never do something like that. And it's like, okay, bro, you're worried about your paycheck from McDonald's next weekend, like you're not dealing, if you were sitting there and you were tempted with a $15 million check on an IPO that was supposed to be like the different way, but you went the shady way just to make more money, like don't tell me that you wouldn't be tempted to do that. But the bottom line is if you commit from the very beginning that that's not even an option, then it won't be an option when you get to it, which allows you to have the freedom to not even worry about the choice. I just want to throw that in there because I think a lot of people will throw shade at some of these people that have made, you know, some not so great decisions business wise or in their relationships or whatever. And it's just like, why don't you just worry about you and stop throwing shade at other people? Travis, what you're saying
1: there is very, very intuitive and of extremely legit argument you're a hundred percent right. And by the way, that happens both with people that have a lot of money because they might be like, Oh man, I could do a double on this one. Right. Or it happens with people who are, you know, desperate people do desperate things. It happens on both sides of that fence. But the importance of the clarity is this just on a, on a business note from on this, if you don't mind me digressing just yeah, for a yeah, second,
0: no, totally fine.
1: Here's the deal about running the straight and narrow. When you bend those rules in business, someone has the ability to hold that against you forever. You never know when that bribe can come back to bite you in the butt. And so you may have done it just one time, and then you ran an amazingly clean business for 20 years, and then somebody comes back to remind you or the world that you did that deal. And it can destroy in moments. All of the repair that you chose to do to never go back to that dark side. And so for me, the core values, the clarity of what do you stand for? What are you willing to tolerate, not tolerate? Who are you going to let into your room? Those things become so vital to somebody getting on the right track to making more money.
0: I love that. I'm I'm glad we spent a little bit of time on that. And like you said, it seemed simplistic from the beginning, but I think that there's so much more to it than just saying like, oh, get some clarity. All right, next. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, now, now let's go ahead and move on. What's the next step?
1: The next step is the person has to double check their platform. And here's where it gets extremely difficult. Most people are probably in the wrong platform to connect to their lifestyle by design. In other words, what they're doing for a career is in disproportion. It's disconnected for what their desired outcome is. And I use the example in the book of a guy making Subway sandwiches who wants to drive a Lambo. It's just never going to happen. Now, guy wants to drive a Lambo and he's working at Subway to eventually own 40 Subway sandwich shops. Great. I totally support it. But most people are in the wrong platform. And how do you know whether you're in the right platform? There must be someone in that platform who is earning what you want to earn to live your lifestyle by design. That is the test Mm. that has to exist. So I use it in the car business, you know, because I like to hire guys from the car business who they can figure out my business pretty quickly, even though it's a very different sales cycle. But it's, you know, you're selling a piece of iron, whether it's a car or a truck and those guys have all hopped around to different dealerships because the new general manager called them and promised them, Oh no, you can make two fifty here. You gotta come over here, man. You can the comp plan's unbelievable. So they leave and they never ask the question, well, who is here making two fifty?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, show me that guy, because I'd like to take that guy out to lunch and figure out how he did it.
0: Oh, right? man. It's so funny you say that, because that my first, not my first sales job, but the first one that I ever made six figures out when I was like 22, I was knocking doors for this alarm company. And that exact thing happened to me. It was like, oh, yeah, there's people here making this, this, this and this and never double checked it, never cleared it. And then after I get my 1089 the first year and realize that like I was the second highest paid rep in the entire office in my first year of ever working there when there'd been people there for six seven eight plus years i was like whoa wait a second uh, where do i go from here like well i don't understand i thought that they were doing you know what i mean so, so anyway anyway go ahead it's just so funny that you say that
1: so it's absolutely vital that we double check the platform right how many guys do we know they're they're in the sign business And they think they're going to build this amazing sign company and five years into it, you know, they're still struggling to pay ends meet and they're working 60 or 70 hours a week. And they're basically just working themselves into a job, Mm -hmm. but yet they're thinking that they have this pot of gold at the end of the yellow brick road. It's extremely difficult. The one thing that happened in my industry, which solidified it as the right platform is large publicly traded banks dominate my industry where there are banks there is money. Where there are large publicly traded companies, there is money. And so I never had to question that piece. Is there real money in my industry? There was always existing. I just had to go in the marketplace and get my fair share of it. So people have to double check the platform to make sure that there actually is this opportunity to eventually get their lifestyle by design. I do want to reference this, Travis, real quick on lifestyle by design. I'm not judging what somebody does. Somebody wants to drive a truck for six months and surf in Costa Rica for six months. Man, I'm totally down with that. Mm -hmm. We just need to define what is the life that we're supposed to be leading. And then we've got to build the plan to get there. That's the key component. Everyone thinks lifestyle by design is, you know, you retire at 45 with tons of money. No, dude, that doesn't have to be your lifestyle by design. And I don't argue for that in the book. Mm -hmm. I just want Mm -hmm. you to know where the hell you're going.
0: Right. Right. Get that clarity. So clarity and then platform. And then what do we do now?
1: Now we got to skill up. Now we have to commit to excellence and being absolutely one of the best. The top 1% of every industry makes plenty of money. I don't care if you're the garbage man, if you're the top 1% of the garbage man, if you're the top 1% of a caddy, if you're the top 1% in social media, if you're the top 1% in podcasts, if you're the top 1% of equipment financing, everyone in the top 1% makes tons of money. And so the you must commit to not being average and being excellent at
0: the craft, at the platform that you've chosen. Yeah, I love that. And the biggest thing that I started to realize at that is that a lot of people will say that, oh, well, only one percent of this industry is successful. So you know, the odds are you'll never make money doing it. And it was always such a weird concept to me. I was like, man, that is really bad odds because I'm a numbers guy, right? And I was like, man, that's that's really bad odds. This is when I was you know twenty one, twenty two, and I was looking at network marketing companies and door to door companies and all these other you know things. And it was just like, man, the top one percent makes a lot of money, but that means ninety nine percent of people don't make that much money at it. And probably probably just give up after a while. And I was like, that's really bad odds. But then I started realizing that it has nothing to do with statistics. It has absolutely nothing to do with statistics. It just means that 99 out of 100 people weren't willing to put in the effort and commitment that it takes to get to that 1%. So don't let it deter you just because the odds are against you, quote unquote. It's the fact that most people aren't willing to put in that work. So they aren't willing to get and earn that 1% money.
1: The perfect example with that is from my friend, Hector Lamarck. Do you know who Hector Lamarck is?
0: I don't. I don't know.
1: He is an amazing guy. You definitely want to get him on your podcast. So Hector Lamarck is basically the number one guy at Pry America, right? The financial services provider. And so he fits exactly into what you just said, where in that world, whether it's Pry America or PHP for Patrick Bet-David or WFG for Ed Milet, you know, there's a massive amount of people that fail. Huge failure rate in that space. Yeah. And my response is, well, no, 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 no you want to be Hector Lamarck. So you just follow it. Hector Lamarck has 13,000 people underneath him in that America world. And he makes millions of dollars and has for two decades. It's a total beautiful lifestyle by design for him. And so the question would be, what's your mindset? Is your mindset of, well, you know, 99% fail or how do I
0: become the next Hector Lamarck? Exactly. Stop saying that it can't be done and start asking how can it be done? Love that. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on. We got just a couple minutes left here. We spent a lot of time talking about the book and the content, which was absolutely fantastic, but we do need to touch on networking since this is the build your network <laughs> podcast. So, let's go ahead and jump right into that. This is the question I ask everybody that comes on the show, Matt. This is the way I get this conversation rolling. So, do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? I think it
1: starts with what and then it moves to who, and they are both vital. What, excellence in what? will not allow you to reach your potential unless you have excellence in who. And excellence in who will not work if you don't have excellence in what. And I hope I answered your question properly. The real life example is you won't get on a who's list if you don't have some what. Right. right. And that what can be a lot of different things, man. It can be as Jim Rohn, the great Jim Rohn used to say, people of interest do interesting things. So it means you've got to be an incredible pianist. You've got to run a fast mile. You've got to run a hundred mile race. You've got to be a top earner. I mean, you've got to be ridiculously physically fit. You can't be a loser and get the attention of the winners. They just don't go hand in hand.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I like your answer. I'll let it slide, Matt. Usually I make people pick one, but I'll let oh, this one slide.
1: I'll, no, I'll pick. It's who. Okay.
0: okay. All right. All right. The reason I was going to let that one slide is because you made it into seasons, right? I think that there's there's seasons for everything in life, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Sometimes you do need to focus on the what. Sometimes you need to have those competencies, those areas of excellence. But then I just think that more often... You should be focusing on the who is my personal opinion. So you need to focus on the what for sure. If you're not competent, like you're saying, you're just going to like destroy credibility when you meet people you want to meet anyway. You have to have that level of excellence or competence. But there's also the season where you need to be focusing on the who need to be focusing on building new relationships, strengthening old relationships and putting yourself in circles of people that are just far beyond, you know, the current level quote unquote level that that you're on. So, but yeah, totally, totally agree with you on that. So this is something that I've been asking some people recently that I'm curious to hear your answer on. Do you have any tips for leaving a conversation that you don't really want to be a part of anymore?
1: Oh, that's so easy. You just simply cut them off and say, I've really enjoyed talking to you and you leave. That's it. (laughs) Perfect. You have to do it. Listen, if you're in a room and there are players and you want to meet those players in that room at that occurrence, because that may not happen multiple times, you may not get this person you've identified as your hit list multiple times. And you got sidetracked with somebody who's boring you or losing your attention. You just simply say, it's been absolute pleasure talking to you. You shake their hand and you go on. And you know what that person's going to do? He or she's going to say, well, that was a lovely conversation. And they'll go and find another sucker to, to suck energy out of.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, They
1: won't even think about you as being rude if you do it like that.
0: Right. (laughs) Sometimes it really is just that simple. So next time you're in a conversation, just try it out and make sure you do it with a smile on your face, though. Don't come off like a complete idiot. So
1: you can't be a jerk. (laughs) Dude, I learned this the hard way in business.
0: You, You can be hard. You can be aggressive. You can be curt. You just can't be a jerk. Totally. Totally. Well, cool, Matt. Like I said, I would really like to talk about this a lot more, but we are running out of time here. So let's go ahead and move on to the last segment. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Sure. This is the random round. What profession other than your own, do you think that it would be fun to attempt?
1: No question for me would have been private equity.
0: If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why?
1: I think it would be Abe Lincoln because of the amount of adversity that he had to overcome to eventually succeed and be looked at as such a a legacy figure. Without question, it would be
0: Abe Lincoln. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos?
1: First is audio, for sure, just from a time constraint. And then second is video. Third for me is books. I just don't have the time to sit down and read a book
0: for two or three hours. What is a good audio that you've listened to recently?
1: Boy, I've listened to a lot. I consume a tremendous amount of content. You know, one of the books that I just finished was Principles by Ray Dahlia. I like that a lot. Another book that I just finished, in fact, I'm going to see him speak tonight, is a book called Make Big Happen by a guy named Mark Moses. Super easy book, but unbelievably powerful on how to get your business on scale. So those are two good recommendations. Those are fresh. Those are in the last week. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine roughly five o'clock workout, Personal trainer, 6 a.m., four days a week. A little bit of time with my children, half an hour or so with my children, unless my youngest says, hey, dad, you want to go to breakfast? And I always make time for that. In the office by 8.15-ish, 8.30 at the latest. Bang, all day. Hammer all day. Usually leave by about 4.30. Home, if I'm not doing something to do, I'm usually home by 5 or 5.15, and I'm doing the best I can to spend time with my children. I'm definitely back on the computer by about 8.30, and I'll usually go 8.30 to 9.30. 30, maybe 8.30 to 10 with some work, with some creative writing, with some social media pushes, that sort of stuff, usually in bed by 10, 10.30. So what's that six and a half, seven hours? I need my seven hours sleep every night. What is your go-to pump-up song? I have a really long playlist and I'm an 80s guy. So I love me some Tears for Fears. I love me some U2. I love me some Cure. I'm a little bit of the old school guy on that.
0: (laughs) What is something that you are not very good at?
1: It's funny you say that I have started and stopped piano, probably eight different times in my life. And for some reason, I just can't make it stick. I have the most beautiful piano in my house. I have this piano called a bussendolfer. You play piano? You know anything about piano?
0: It's funny. I actually did a little bit in college and stuff, but I'm not familiar with that brand of piano, though.
1: I have a Busendoffer Imperial Grand. It has these extra keys on it so you can play Rachmaninoff and all this sort of stuff. And I
0: just can't learn to play it. So
1: for some reason, I'm terrible at music.
0: (laughs) As we get everything wrapped up here, Matt, what is one place online where we'll be able to find you the most?
1: Uh, MattMonero.com everywhere. At MattMonero on all social, MattMonero.com for everything else. And then
0: Commercial Fleet Financing
1: is the name of the business.
0: Perfect. So go check out some of the content that Matt is putting out there. I don't say this about everybody. Literally some of the stuff that he's putting out is some of the best content that's available. There's a lot of people that put out content, but Matt puts out very tactical practical content directly from his success that he's seen in his business so 100 percent, go check out the you need more money podcast and please go buy his book you need more money you just heard some of the blueprints to be able to get money so if if you want more money and you don't get this book then i don't know what you're what you're thinking so (laughs) Uh (laughs) thanks a lot for coming on the show today man had a blast chatting with you
1: travis wish we could have gone longer buddy i appreciate you very much